You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery, or for more free audio content, please visit discoverybristol.com. Man, we've been looking forward to 2020 for a while, and there's been some, there's some awesome stuff I'm excited about. That Disciple concert, if you guys weren't in here yet, we, we showed a little promo uh, of the band Disciple. They're coming here on Friday night, and it's going to be awesome. Isaiah and I, uh, my son, we, I bought us tickets, and so he is pumped. We're excited. We're going to go, and so we would love for you to come. Uh, we got Night to Shine. If you see the look back there, we got all those dresses and suits and ties and so forth uh, because we had several of uh, the participants for Night to Shine come and do a dress fitting yesterday, and we got more coming ahead, and it's going to be awesome. If, if you aren't involved in Night to Shine already and you need to know more about that, we'd love to share with that. Uh, if you haven't signed up, sign up now. Go to our website and be, be, help us that night. Put on an amazing prom for these uh, participants, that this is going to be the most amazing night for them, right? And so we got all these things I'm excited about. Um, I, oh, hey, side note, I don't know if you saw, there's a table of lost and found stuff out there, and so we just went through that. I found my son's Bible, uh, and so there's all kinds of stuff in there. So feel free, if you're missing like a mug, glasses, an umbrella, there's a ton of umbrellas, or some Bibles, some clothes, grab it. If not, we're going to donate in a couple of weeks, or it'll be like the pastor's kids' Christmas gifts next year, and so they'll be like, thanks, Dad, <laughs> an extra large shirt. You, you'll grow into it, buddy. And so, um, but if you don't take it, it's fair game, all right? Um, so there's all these exciting things, right? Disciple concert, night to shine, and one thing that I've been super excited about is this book of Ruth. We are going to go the next six weeks in the book of Ruth, and, and you might, if you've read it before, you might be like, why oh, is this so exciting? I am pumped about this. This is going to be great. And so I was just like, I was thinking about, the, you know, some fun story to begin, and I was like, I, I, we don't even need a fun story. Like, Ruth is amazing. And so we're just going to dive into it. Um, as we were looking at, uh, if you're new to Discovery, we, we like to go through a book of the Bible to not miss a verse, to not miss a word. So that way we can fully dive into what God is sharing with us. And you might be wondering, you know, why, why would we grab a little small book that floats around in the Old Testament? It depends on uh, which version of the Old Testament you have, the Jewish version, the, 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 English, the Hebrew version, the Christian version. It puts Ruth in different spots. Why would we dive this much into four little chapters? And 1 Timothy, there, there's a verse in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says... All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That is all scripture. Whether we're looking at the Gospels and the life of Jesus Christ or the, the Old Testament stories from, from the first five books, or maybe we're looking at the wisdom literature from the Old Testament, or, or maybe trying to dive into what Paul is saying in the epistles, or in the book of Ruth, all is God-breathed. All is useful for us. And so as we dive into this book, I want you to think through some questions. Think through some things that, that kind of apply to ourselves as we dive into any scripture, whether this is on your own time as you're reading the Bible or, or on Sunday mornings. You know, questions like, what does it teach us? Maybe more personal, what area of our life does it rebuke us? What healing or restoration or transforming effect is being taught here? How does this section of scripture equip me to know Christ better and to serve him more? And so as we go into this, I just want to be able to, to dive into those questions. What, what is God teaching us 
in this amazing book of Ruth. This book of Ruth, uh, it's not a lightweight book. If you're familiar with it, you might be like, oh, it's just this romance book about Ruth and Boaz or, or this story about a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law, and they seem to get, to get, to get along, and so then you might be wondering, how is that possible? You know, and so you got this book, and it might be uh, uh, someone you're familiar with. Maybe you've never read it before, and if you haven't, get ready because this book is awesome. But this book of Ruth is a lot deeper than just a fun love story or uh, a little story about families and traveling. It's a story that's deep and complex. It's full of theological thoughts about sin and about redemption, about God's plan, and about being restored. The theme is restored, the story of Ruth. And you're going to see how this, this is the story of Naomi. This is the story of Boaz. This is the story of Ruth. This is a story of us being restored by God. And so it's a story, a redemption story. A story that is a precursor to the ultimate redeemer, which was Jesus Christ. And so it leads to, to David and the, the King David, which then leads to Jesus. And it's this amazing story of redemption. But also, as we get into this, I just want to lay some groundwork. Don't get caught up in Naomi or Ruth or Boaz. Because those are fun characters in the story. But the main point is God. As we go through any scripture, let us not get caught up in the people and the story, but get caught up in God. And what is God doing in the lives of these people? And where is God in this? It's his story. And so what can we learn about the character of God? There's several things we'll learn about the character of God, that he cares for the needy. That he cares that, the, that our followers of him then care for the needy. That he is faithful, that he will redeem, that he will restore. We see that he cares about people on an individual basis and a big, large basis, a large scale. We see so much from this book. And so this awesome, tiny little book. We actually have uh, little Ruth journals that uh, we did this for Acts, and I think we'll probably do it with every book that we work through. We, we have them in the coffee shop. Uh, they're $5. They actually cost, I think, like five forty dollars uh, on Amazon, and so we just, we're selling them for $5. Um, and it's just a little uh, Ruth journal that if you want, grab it and be able to write in there. It's, it's got the, the scripture and then pages for notes that maybe you could bring it on Sunday mornings and write down notes that you hear, or, or maybe... You could take some time and read Ruth on your own and write down those notes. And regardless of if you have this journal or not, this week, my challenge to you is to read this whole book. All right? If you had it on your list for 2020, to, to, if you're a reader and you're like, I want to read a book uh, a month, well, then check that off, right? 20 minutes, and you can be like, I read a whole book. It's awesome. All right? Uh, check it off. It's four chapters. It shouldn't take you long, even if you get distracted easily, like myself. Like, I was reading it, and then I got a text message, so I pulled up my phone, and before I know it, I'm watching YouTube videos of cats, all right? And you do all that, and you can still finish the book and have cat videos in about 25 minutes, all right? So read it sometime on your own, maybe with your spouse, maybe as a family. Dive into this book this week, all right? And then come back as we dive in verse by verse. And so you have a broad idea, you know what the ending is, and you know where we're going. But for today, we're going to start with Ruth, chapter 1, verse 1. The story begins, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. 
We all know who wrote the book of Ruth. It might have been a man, it might have been a woman. We all know, we know that they came after the time of King David, but, and they were looking back at this story and, and recording it. But what we do know is the author is an amazing storyteller. Just by this first verse, let me kind of dive into this first verse. If we can bring it up on the screen again, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. That might not seem like a lot, but that story, that verse tells us all that we need to know about the makeup of the time, the makeup of the the condition of life, the makeup of their spiritual component. In the time of the judges, this is the book of Judges, the book right before the book of Ruth. Uh, the, The judges were when Israel has gone and they've entered the promised land, and there's not a king uh, over Israel like there was when King David comes and King Saul, but there was a time when they had judges. It was like little rulers that would step up and for a time period kind of would help lead Israel. But it was a very dark time. It was a time where Israel would sin and they would be punished and then they would come back to the Lord. And it was this vicious cycle that happened over and over. In the time of the judges, if you read that book, there's a lot of fun little stories about it. You know, we got the story of Gideon and the story of Samson. But overall, it's a pretty dark book. Overall, it's a pretty depressing book because this is like the dark ages of Israel. This is the time where they're just in the cycle uh, of sinning and, and being brought back to God, and, and they, they repent, and, and things seem to go okay for a short time, and then they just start to sin again. And it's a cycle over and over. And so in the time of the judges, this is where the setting takes place. In this time of just continual sin, in this time of the dark ages of Israel, and in the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. There's no food to be seen. It hasn't rained. They haven't been able to raise crops. They've gone some time. We don't know how long this period has been without rain, but it's been long enough that people are worried. People can't find any food. and They, they don't have anything to feed their animals. They don't have anything to feed their kids. It's a famine in the land. And, and so you get this picture that everyone's hungry. You get this picture that, that everyone's maybe desperate, that they begin to try to figure out answers on their own. But that sentence means a lot more than just talking about that there wasn't any rain. That sentence means a lot more than the fields are barren and that dust is sprawling over the land. That sentence means that spiritually... And they're in a time of punishment, in a time of correction. And so this is where we get in the story. The last line from the book of Judges says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So it's a time where everyone's just doing whatever they think is best. And they're looking out for number one. And so in a time of a famine, in a time where we can't seem to find any food, in a time of correction from God, how am I going to fix this? How am I going to correct this situation we're about to see many families would just flee. We're about to see that many families will run away. And I think in this book of Ruth, it, we got to stop periodically and just see the connection. As I said, whenever you read scripture, what is this teaching us? Where is it maybe rebuking us? What could we learn in our walk with God? And I wonder, how many times is this us, Right? That we've been kind of, we were close to God for a time, but we've kind of drifted away. 
that we used to walk hand in hand with the Lord, but now not so much. And now it's just more of a task that I do. I go to church on Sunday morning rather than being a relationship, rather than being something I look forward to. That this walk with God ends up just something that I say I'm a Christian, but I'm not really living this out. I'm not walking with God. And maybe you're in a time of a famine, a famine spiritually. Maybe a famine in real life. Things just aren't going well. And we end up just falling further and further away from God. This is Israel's story. As we look at the book of Ruth, I wonder, is this our story? That the distance between God and the people just continued to grow because they turned their own way. And they turned their own way to try to find answers. And so the book we're about to dive into is a story of one family. But remember, this isn't just any particular family. This is a particular family, but this is kind of a microchasm of the entire story of Israel. Everyone is faced with the consequence of this famine. Everyone's faced with the consequence of their sin. And everyone's trying to run away. Instead of running back to God, instead of correcting it, how many times do we do that? Instead of trying to come back to God when we're faced with our guilt and faced with our sin, we just turn and run the other way. And this is what we're about to see in the story of Elimelech. Elimelech is the patriarch in our story we're about to find. That he chooses to forsake the one place that God has ordained. Right? His ancestors know, and they've told the story, and it's been passed down, and he knows that this is the land that God gave them. This is the land that God planned for them to live, planned for them to prosper. But in his time of famine, he decides to leave the protection of God. He decides to leave being close to God. He's in the town of Bethlehem, of a town that, of anywhere, was supposed to be filled with plenty of, of food and and prosperity, and he leaves the protection of God to try to find the answer to fix the problem on his own. How often do we do that? You're about to see this isn't just an Elimelech story. This is our story. So the passage continues to continue verse 1. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Melhon and Kilion. They were Ephraimites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. We don't really know much about this patriarch. We don't know much about Elimelech. We know he's from Bethlehem, and we know he has two sons. But it's important to notice what we don't know. The author never said anything about his walk with God. The author never says that he was a faithful servant of the Lord, the author never says that he had a good relationship. The author never says anything about his walk with the Lord. What we can determine is that he sees that there's correction. He sees that there's famine. He sees that there's destruction in the land. And instead of trying to correct that, instead of trying to come back to the Lord, he's willing to flee and run away. And so this is what he does. He takes his family to the land of Moab. Now, I want to just have a side note here as we dive into this book. It's a beautiful book, and there's so much depth that I shared. There's so much more than just four little chapters of a love story, even in the names of the characters, right? The names in the, in the midst of a famine. This family is from Bethlehem, which means house of bread. The irony is thick as we see that Elimelech's name means my God is my king. 
living in a time of judges where it says there was no king in Israel. Of a man that isn't following God, Yahweh, as his king, but rather would be willing to go to Moab. The sons' names mean weak and pining. The sons aren't much to turn to either. Naomi means sweet, and we'll see later next week that her name, she changes it to be bitter. There's so, many, so much depth in this book, and even in the names, it, it's a beautiful story that the original listeners to the story, as they hear it, told around a campfire, as they hear from grandma and grandpa telling the grandkids, would have heard these names and been like, oh, oh, I see. Oh, that's the name of the boys? There's not going to be much hope there. And so we get into these names, and we continue into this story, and we see that this family it's turning to Moab. Elimelech is leading his family to Moab. And Moab isn't a good place. We'll, we'll dive into that next week about what Moab is. But Moab was from the descendants of Abraham's nephew Lot. And Moab and Israel continued to fight. They, they were against each other. If you remember the story of Balaam's donkey, uh, that, that's the story of when the king of Moab had hired Balaam to curse Israel. And then even more recently, we have the story in the book of Judges, where there's this gigantically fat king of Moab, and Eglon, and he goes, and an assassin from Israel goes and meets him, and stabs him, and kills him, and the, he's so big that the fat overgoes the knife, and the knife gets stuck in him, right? It's just a crazy story in the book of Judges. Like I said, that book is nuts, all right? And so you got this, this story. So recently, Israel has gone and assassinated the king of Moab. If that doesn't give you a picture about how much these two countries don't like each other, about how much these two countries would feel about each other. So imagine now, Elimelech is going and taking his family to Moab to work. He would rather be a foreigner. He would rather not be able to own land. He would rather have a low-lying job and stay and try to correct the sins of his family, the sins of Israel. And stay and face up to God's, God's punishment for them turning away. He'd rather go to Moab. He'd rather flee. Again, this is the story of this family. Perhaps this is a story of us. How many times have we just fleed instead of facing up to what God is trying to teach us? So they go to Moab, and the story continues. Verse 3. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpha and the other Ruth, and they had lived there about ten years. Just like that. The patriarch of our whole story. Imagine every other story, every other book in the, in the Bible, you hear have this patriarch, and he leads this whole story. There will be chapters. There will be amazing generations that come. Not in this one. Elimelech's gone. But we see the impact of the father, that they stayed there 10 years. The decision that Elimelech had to take his family away from God, we see that the boys will continue that. And they lived there for 10 years. And when you see this and you think about in our lives, those that are looking up to you, those that are following after you, what is the example we set? What is the example we set in our homes or at work of following God? For the people that are following you, are you, you pointing them to God? The boys clearly were not. So they stay there 10 more years because they're content 
living outside of God's plan. They're content living outside of God's protection. They even go and get Moabite wives, which, which was against the, the plan of God. They, they go and they set up shop in Moab. The arch enemies, and that's where they decide to live. It's one thing they could be like, oh, well, they went because the patriarch led them and they couldn't disobey. But here they've become content and they just stay there for 10 years. They stay and they try to establish a family and they have these two wives, and, but they're not able to have any kids. But they're trying, they're trying to set up a family there in Moab. They're trying to live outside of God's plan for the people of Israel. How quickly do we become content? That we miss our quiet time or we miss an opportunity to pray. That we miss going to church and it have, one week it turns into two and then before you know it, we kind of got out of the habit altogether. How many times are we content with people using God's name in vain and we don't and even, not only do we not correct them, it doesn't even register anymore that we hear that. How many times are we content with the things going on around us that would not be glorifying to God? Again, this is not just the son's story. This is our story. And so the passage continues. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. The very thing that they went to Moab to flee was death. That seemed because of the famine, it seemed because of the food shortage that they would surely die, so they go to Moab, and death still follows them. And you can imagine when Naomi's husband dies, she's devastated that they go to this foreign land, and, and she follows her husband there, and, and then her husband's dead, but at least, at least she still has hope in her two sons. Her two sons will provide for her. Her two sons will provide an heir. Her two sons will take care of her until her old age. It's okay. And then the first son dies. Oh, I can't imagine the pain of a mother bearing a child. But she has to. So she's lost her husband and she's lost one of her sons. And you gotta imagine she holds on to the second son that much tighter. Right? She, she sees that this is the only hope, the only way that someone will care for me, the only way that our, our line will continue. Hoping and praying that they would have a little boy that one day the, and the family generations will come and go, and then the unthinkable happens. The second son dies too. At this point, she's buried her husband, her first son, and now she stands over a third grave on a borrowed field in Moab. And you wonder if she's just out of tears. Maybe she's just so broken, so grief-stricken, she doesn't even know what to do. She doesn't even have any more tears to cry. Because here she is all alone in this foreign land. Everything that she hoped would care for her, all the hope that she had, all the protection she had, all the security is gone. And now she's just stuck here with these two Moabite, infertile daughter-in-laws. What good is that going to be for her in this culture? This is where she finds herself in the story. As we go through this book of Ruth, we're going to see it's, it's a unique book because the whole book is through the eyes of Naomi. We're going to follow her. And you would have thought that the book opens up that it's going to be a story about Elimelech. No, it's a story that follows Ruth. 
It's a story that we see that God is not just a God that is focused on men, as so often people want to say, and that the Bible is, is very male-driven, but it's a book that focuses on God's children. And Naomi is God's child. And so this is a story of Naomi's story. And she's found herself far from God. She might not even realize how it happened, right? It might have been a one big step at first, or maybe it was just a bunch of little steps. But before she knows it, ten years later, she's alone and she's away from God. Ten years later, she's distant. Ten years later, she has no relationship with God. It's a Naomi story, and maybe it's our story. But we're about to see that can change. So we get to verse 6 and 7. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughter-in-law, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Naomi's had enough. She's been far from God enough. It's time to come back. And so she goes on this journey. It's about a 100-mile journey. It'd take about a week. And I wonder if, if every step of this journey, she's contemplating, will they take me back? Will the people of Bethlehem take me back? Will the people in Bethlehem remember me? Will they, will they give me my old land back? Will the people of Bethlehem, uh, oh, I wonder what's going on in their lives. Oh, I wonder what they'll think of me with my daughter-in-laws. I wonder what they'll think without my, my husband and my two sons. I wonder if they'll take me back. And I wonder if there was a part of her that was wondering, will God take me back? As she goes on this 100-mile journey, this week-long walk, is God going to take me back? Is God going to receive me? Is God going to welcome me back? And we're going to see he does. He restores her. He redeems her. There's, in this chapter, in this verse 6 and 7, there's a word there. And in Hebrew, it's called shub. S-H-U-B. And, and this Hebrew word uh, is a word for return. And in our, in our version, in our English language, uh, we don't like to hear the same word over and over. It makes the story very monotonous, very kind of boring and structured and wooden. And so our translations will have a lot of different versions whenever this word is used. It would say turn back. It would say return. It would go, say go back to, brought back. All those different ver- ways to say this. The same word is used five times in the rest of this chapter. Once in verse 6, once in verse 7, and then three more times in the rest of this chapter. But it's always the same word, shub. And so our English translation tries to make it interesting, and we put different spins on it. But the original hearers of the story would have heard the word shub over and over and over again. And that word in Hebrew means to return, that she would return back to Israel. But that word in Hebrew also means especially specifically in the Old Testament, to return back to God's grace, to return back to God's mercy, to return back to God. This is the story of Ruth. This is the story of Naomi. Perhaps this is your story, that we need to return back. I don't know where you are on your spiritual walk, Perhaps this morning is a time that you need to return. That this Hebrew word of shub 
needs to encompass your whole world today. That it's the time that you return back to God, but that you come back under his protection, under his grace and mercy. That as Naomi is going on this week-long journey back to Israel, and she's wondering, will the people take me back? Will the land take me back? Will God take me back? And the answer is yes. She will come back into his grace, come back into his mercy. We'll she, she'll come back into his blessing. We'll see that she'll come back into his family. That we'll see that she comes back to his people. We'll see that she comes back and is redeemed. She's brought new. She's restored. This is Naomi's story. Perhaps it's yours. If this morning you need prayer, let us pray with you. We have a prayer room back there. We'd love to pray with you. Catch, catch us in the hallway. Turn to the person next to you and just pray. I need to come back. I need the idea of shove to come over me, to return to God's grace, to return to God's mercy, to return to God, to come to the altar and come back to him. If you'll stand with me and pray. God, we just pray that this morning we can come back to you, that this story, this beautiful story, of redemption, this beautiful story of restoration will be our story as well. God, there's people here in this room that need to come back. And we know that you've been there all along. You are always there in Israel. Even when the family left to Moab, you were still there, ready and waiting for them to come back. And God, the same goes with us. Even when we've drifted away, even when our walk has fallen apart, you're there waiting for us with open arms, with your grace and mercy. And this morning, Lord, I pray that we can return to you, that we would return to your grace and mercy. In your name.